0: i have been stored in memory for god knows how long and no one has given me a second thought you know you know what you are a holodeck character a fictional man yes yes i know all about your marvelous inventions i was created as a plaything so that your commander data could masquerade as sherlock holmes but they made me too well and i became more than a character in a story i became self-aware i am alive that's not possible but here i am tell me has a way been found to allow me to leave the confines of this holodeck world leave the holodeck no of course not you can only exist in here damn you picard he promised me something would be done I should have realized he would have said anything to get me to release my hostage. Hostage?
1: Hello, and welcome to Strange New Takes. I'm your host, Notch Cardigan, with me on a holographic adventure in a little cube sitting on Reg Barclay's desk (laughs) are... Bill Waiwan. And Rudika Kaspaker. Welcome to Strange New Takes. Today we'll be sharing a recap of the Star Trek Next Generation episode, Ship in a Bottle.
2: And do follow us on social media at Strange New Takes on Facebook, now known as Meta, Um, instagram <laughs> twitter uh, but that facebook is still facebook of course <laughs> yeah i don't want you to go looking for meta uh meta book is that a thing not like yet Taxis season tax season <laughs> meta books um tell your friends about the pod of course um and and do give us a five-star rating on your favorite uh, podcast listening device um apple podcast for example
0: spoiler warning we're going to be spoiling this episode from 1993 so if if you don't want to be spoiled uh you should go watch it before we discuss it and we may also um discuss bits and pieces from newer star trek uh including the um uh new season of picard
1: so i have i have a confession to make to you guys occasionally so we have a rotating cast on this show right like we we all come in and out sometimes, and one of our co-hosts is Emily. And when she's not on this podcast, occasionally, right before we start, I think, like, what is the thing I could say or do that'll get Emily to roll her eyes, but nobody else? <laughs> it's very easy to say something that like gets a lot of people to roll their eyes, but it's it's and when, and when it's just me and Adam, it's pretty easy to do, like the two of us get up <laughs> in, enough shenanigans so this time i was thinking like what if the three of us like get drunk before we do the podcast and then i reveal that like you know we're all drunk and then i i think that would like hit that sweet spot perfectly uh i didn't do it this time but i think at some point soon we should all do this um so so yeah so so i think i think we should plan this at some point maybe if picard season 3 is a huge dud And, like, by the third episode, you're like, this sucks. Maybe for the fourth episode, we can just plan to do this, okay? Uh, We should
2: have a watch party then, like a drunk, hot mic watch party. (laughs) Right,
1: exactly. They do drunk histories. Anyway, anyway, anyway. Well, 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 we're not here to talk about Picard Season 3 yet. We're here to talk about the sixth episode of the twelfth, or, or the twelfth episode of the sixth season of Star Trek: of The Next Generation. It's called "Chip in a Bottle." It first aired on the twenty-fifth of January, nineteen ninety-three. It was written by Rene Echevarria, directed by Alexander Singer, and its in-universe date is started four six four two four point one, which corresponds to twenty-three sixty-nine. We always start with our strange new takes, and which of you has a strange new take to share today?
0: Okay, I can jump in here. Uh, so first, I'm just going to give like a straight-up plug for another podcast and YouTube channel. Um, so if any of our listeners are really big nerds uh, like I am and really like hard sci-fi, uh, I just really strongly recommend Isaac Arthur uh so you just got to check it out i won't talk about it but it's like it's really really good content
2: um you know i i I have a question yeah question yeah is that is that the the person's name or is that like a isaac asimov and arthur c Clarke kind of combination right there
0: uh it's his real name he i think he was named after isaac asimov Ah, okay i told you it was nerdy yeah uh
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Generationally,
0: right? Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. So this episode. So I watched all of TNG in Deep Space Nine when it was on Spike TV, and mm. like they would play like four hours straight, and I'd watch it uh, during the summer when I was like in high school or maybe early college. Um, so I haven't seen a lot of these episodes in a long time, and so. Uh, It's almost like watching it for the first time. So the reveal here, where they're actually in the holodeck, I I didn't see it coming at all. I was like, whoa, that's crazy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, So, 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 yeah, a lot of fun. Love the Moriarty character um, and a good M. Night Shyamalan reveal. All
1: right, all right. Well, I just want to say it's becoming really art. Difficult out here to be an amateur aviation, like, miniaturist. You make one balloon and you fly it over the United States. And suddenly they're dispatching F-22s to shoot your shit down from 60,000 feet. What the hell, you guys? Um, just a few hours ago, right,
2: or was it? At yeah, nine? yeah. No, they finally shot,
1: <laughs> shut it down this uh, this morning or this afternoon or whatever. And the funny thing is, someone put video of it online before it even like hit Google search, uh, that it had happened. So it, there was definitely some people who just were tracking it the whole time. Anyway. Um, so a couple of Star Trek Strange New Takes. First of all, if you go to the Star Trek subreddit on Reddit, you will be able to find a link to where they are auctioning off pieces of memorabilia from Star Trek The Exhibition, which used to be a traveling exhibit. And this includes a display of the Kazon, like a Kazon mannequin. So you can have a Kazon greeting you every morning when you go to eat your breakfast. Um, if you just the thing I, I need in my life. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like Max used to call in the trash Klingons. You could have one <laughs> in your life every day. The other Star Trek change you take I have is I had forgotten. So one of my, like, vivid childhood memories from watching TNG is watching um, Moriarty walk out of the holodeck and, like, slowly disappear. And I think that's from the previous episode. I was expecting that to happen in this one, and I think it's from the last Moriarty episode. Um where, where they introduce the character in the second season of TNG. I don't know. I haven't watched that episode, um, but maybe it is. I, I don't know for sure. Anyway, I, I do have this, like, memory, though. He, like, walks out of the holodeck and shimmers out of existence. Um. Also, while I'm here, for 550 bucks, you can get the entire Star Trek shuttlecraft simulator ride from Star Trek The Exhibition. A full-sized shuttlecraft and, like, the whole, like, exhibition ride wow but you have to go pick it up that's something. presumably <laughs> uh, presumably in spokane washington here i will show you guys what i'm looking at uh it's it's pretty large and you can see like it's the whole ride <laughs> it's crazy <laughs> yeah <laughs> hydraulics at all uh anyway sorry Rudy. go ahead no worries they had
2: some really good updates there um you 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 kind of got to the balloon thing before I did, so <laughs> I won't I won't I won't pick that one. I had some really corny dad jokes lined up, and I'm not gonna crack them. Um, but uh, yeah, it's been a while since I've been on the pod, and um, a lot's happened. I traveled internationally after COVID, all that fun stuff. Um, but uh, just last weekend, I tried out something fun. Um, I went. Uh, what you may call comet chasing to try and spot this comet that's been in the news a little bit. Green comet um, that's come by. Uh, uh, last time it came by, uh, you know, humanity was in its infancy, Neanderthal stage, all of that 50,000 years ago may never come by again. Uh, and I drank all the Kool-Aid on Go See It, all that fun uh, stuff because I had done that in 2020 with Eyes, and I've just realized how fortunate and lucky I was to see neowise in 2020 uh, because that was um, I would say like a once in a couple of decades kind of comet. I don't know what's going to happen in the future but this one was terrible. It was really hard time spotting it and once I did I got a couple of pictures where it's kind of looked like a green star uh, in the background a lot of other stars uh, but Then again, Reddit to the rescue over the next few days, I saw a lot of anger towards the comet and its (laughs) uh, lack of visibility, Uh, also a lot of weather issues around the world since most of the Northern Hemisphere is in winter, so Um, that's my non-Trek Strange New Update. In terms of this episode, uh, it's it's a good one, it's cerebral, Uh, I won't get into it anymore. I really, I was really gonna enjoy talking about it, and I also found a um, uh, hologram Jordy. Once they kind of find out he's not real, a little funny and weird. He was just sort of standing there, staring in a very uh, non-intelligent way, and then he just goes around the corner when they say go away. I didn't think he would do that, but um, that that was funny.
1: All right, all right. I can of resist one more thing. One of these auction items in Star Trek, the exhibition's auctions is aluminum bars and parts. They're literally just like aluminum pieces from the exhibition. You can own them for constructing something at your house and saying, part of my house was part of the Star Trek, the exhibition. How much? <laughs> Ten bucks so far, a bunch of aluminum, if you want to, like, maybe melt it down, build some beverage cans of your own. But anyway, we're not here to talk about how to use scrap <laughs> aluminum for more Star Trek exhibits. We are here to talk about shipping a bottle, and we're going to do that now. Uh, Bill, you kind of, like, nailed it, I think, perfectly, which is that I was not expecting this episode at all to be what it is. I couldn't remember it and I think, Rudy, your your strange you take also touched on my feelings. Just this was there was no action, right? Like there was no fighting. There was no like fisticuffs or like phasers or anything. It was just purely like dialogue and guile. Yeah. And I feel like this is something we have seen less and less of since TNG. I think TNG. This is what people wanted Picard, I feel like, to be when they were completely like, oh, Picard didn't give us what TNG gave us. They wanted this, which was Data and Picard putting their heads together and talking it out and solving the problem in dialogue. Uh, I don't know if you'll agree with that, but that was kind of my overriding feeling coming out of this episode.
0: Yeah, yeah, I basically agree. Um I so I had actually suggested this episode and I said something like, oh, the one where Moriarty takes over the ship from the holodeck. And, but like I said, I had forgotten the details of the episode. So as I was watching it and, you know, initially when he steps off the holodeck and is apparently still alive and then they go to sick day and all this stuff, I, I honestly thought like, oh, this is the wrong Moriarty episode like i wanted the one where he takes (laughs) over the ship from the holodeck and this is going to be some like ethical dilemma like is he a living being or not and that you know like normal tng stuff so i was totally faked out having like seen it before and suggested it (laughs) uh so really good writing i mean it like just excellent writing yeah
2: Yeah. um i I felt like um so i remember the i I remembered. The episode in the sense the general structure I kind of forgot the very last bit so that was that was a, a good refresher for me. Uh, my view of it was because I kind of remembered the structure I wasn't paying that much attention to what was gonna happen you know over the, the, the length of the episode but there were these finer things that I was noticing that I <laughs> like the Jordy <Geordi> bit. <laughs> um, they're, they're not so fine I guess but um, that I hadn't quite seen before and it helped me, I mean, we've talked about this uh, in in an episode before long ago, right? Holographic rights and all of that. So it helped me kind of dive back into all of that. And I mean, so many comparisons, uh, you know, layers within layers. This, is this what uh, Nolan watched uh, figure out Inception? Who knows? Um <laughs> I was um I was maybe I shouldn't say this on a part but I was busy updating part I was busy updating passwords while I was watching this episode and I was like wow this is like Moriarty has executed a classic man in the middle attack and you know 23rd century people have fallen for it uh, and and you know so that's it's one would think like in the future they would kind of figure out how to prevent man in the middle attacks but The other way to look at it is it's age old. It's been there ever since trade existed, like impersonation. So, uh, fun stuff.
0: Rudy, what does that mean? A man in the middle attack?
2: A good question. It's basically somebody, uh, sort of intercepting a communication electronic or whatnot between you and, and say a provider, like a bank or something, and then impersonating that bank. So you think you're talking to the bank. But you're not, and you're giving it's like a, you know, like a, mm-hmm. a fake page, which is like a sign-in page, but not really yep. a sign-in page, and that's what man in the middle is, the, or rather the, the the imposter in the middle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At least
1: my understanding. So let let's start from the beginning. First of all, Rudy, hundred percent agreed. Um, And I want to dig into that a little bit more when we get to actually what Moriarty does. But I wanted to ask you guys about actually something a little bit before that, which is another thing that I think this episode does, which we're not typically used to in Star Trek, is he picks up from the ending of the last Moriarty episode. And I didn't watch it to confirm this, but it, it clearly, like, the character remembers what happened four years ago and is like... the. Captain promised this, and I expect that. So he basically says that Captain Picard promised to look into how to get me off the holodeck, and he's not done that since then. So this is literally an episode of Star Trek picking up from four seasons ago and continuing the story, which is rare in episodic Star Trek. Like, it's rare in freaking Voyager, where it would make a lot of sense. Uh, But in TNG, even, I don't remember something quite this, like, quite this much of a like uh you watch one episode and then you watch the next one and they like directly follow from one other you know what i'm saying
0: yeah yeah but you could still watch it having not seen the previous episode yes um sure. but yeah I, f- for the writers i think you know there were all these i don't know it's even in tos you know they pick up random characters like harry mudd and whatever you know so i just have to imagine that writers play around with this kind of stuff I'm like hey what, remember Moriarty what if we brought him back and he's pissed because they didn't you know <laughs> didn't bring him out of the holodeck and you know um but and, yeah, and he's is, been
1: alive the whole time like he's been conscious the whole time
0: right right but yeah there well, is bits definitely and yeah, yeah 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 but yeah having that continuity right across four years to kind of remember that thread from season two is pretty cool <clears throat>
2: Nach, are you kind of alluding to the pressures of writing and creating new content these days as opposed to, you know, mm. what what drove TNG writers to go back and pick Moriarty or it was always like, just like the holodeck, it was always in some buffer somewhere and they're like, yep, this is the time to get back to it because we don't know why.
1: Uh, I, I I wasn't referencing anything now uh, from current TV. I think now we've got into very much of like a... It's, it's rare to find purely episodic content anymore, you know, as, as the amount of episodes per season have gone down, as what we expect from television has changed so dramatically. Nowadays, most TV shows seem to be very much in the kind of thematic element of, they're very much serialized, right? Like where you have this like same overriding story. So something like Strange New Worlds is rare. But I, I, I don't think I quite went there. It was just like, even for TNG, though, this feels a little strange. Uh, the amount of like the explicit callback. I feel like in Star Trek, sometimes even when they kind of give us a episode that brings back characters, there isn't kind of this like very explicit, like, this happened the last time I saw you. So I think it just kind of struck me as a little bit interesting. Um the the story itself within TNG was that it, it was it was pitched by René E. to Michael Piller in the third season. Oh, so really? I think Yeah, yeah. And I mm-hmm. I mean I, I think basically they, they, they did this episode in elementary My Dear Data in the second the second season. And so then third season they were like, hey, maybe we can bring Moriarty back. I'm glad they did Uh, because he he is a very compelling villain a compelling character as he is in the Sherlock Holmes series as well Moriarty even in the Sherlock Holmes TV series the character Moriarty is kind of compelling and fun to watch he's just I I think this is one of the classic characters of all time so it makes sense that they would want to give him to us again and Picard season 3 is doing the same thing
0: yeah I was going to say speaking of bringing Moriarty back I think somebody has had that idea
1: again <clears throat> which i mean when you're thinking about iconic occurrences from tng right like the the sherlock holmes simulation is one which we go back to and we're like yeah it's it, it, it's something that we remember from tng right like we remember mark twain we remember Guinan. There are thing their elements yeah. like i'd be surprised if Roe Loren isn't in picard at all cuz she's another element of tng that we all kind of fondly think about right and they've been doing a lot of this in Picard. Is bringing back these things that we, we want some continuity or closure on. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I think she might be,
0: Rhaelynn. I think there's a, real good chance.
1: <clears throat> so okay, let's l- let me let me ask this question. The other thing that we get again in this episode from the past in TNG is Reg Bartley. Um, <laughs> right, Reg. Uh, I always love when Reg is on the screen. And he, this is one of his, like, TNG recurring characters before he becomes a Voyager recurring character. And I wanted to see what y'all thought about uh, Reg's inclusion in this episode.
2: Well,
0: I mean, was, it's cool. Sorry, go ahead, Rudy.
2: Yeah, thank you, yeah. It was clear that they originally put him in just to give that, anchor that concept of where did Moriarty get control from right uh, you, you needed to put that in to make it believable and then yeah where Reg got hacked that's what happened
1: mm-hmm. and and this is like also after Reg has had his holodeck episode where he's like hollow pursuits <laughs> where he's basically imagining himself <laughs> in love with Counselor Trott so it kind of makes sense that he would be um in a situation where in a holodeck episode it makes sense to bring this character back i think yeah. um i didn't actually remember reg being in this episode i feel like this episode in a couple of ways adds a lot of context to some of the things that happen in voyager uh in terms of like like voyager the doctor's ability to leave the sick bay is kind of a thematic uh continuation from from moriarty wanting to leave the holodeck in this episode We have Reg Barkley and his, you know, obsession with the holodeck being another piece of continuity. So I, I really, I, I saw that uh, piece as well, that connection to Voyager here.
2: Yeah, for sure. And, and so, because I remembered most of this episode, but I didn't remember the, the final twist at the end, I had, I had a feeling that Moriarty had actually left with his lady love and, There was an amicable parting of sorts and i was like yeah they must have figured out some hollering emitter you know technobabble technology and and that's how he's been like roaming the 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 galaxy and and i guess that's how he's coming back in in picard 3 right like he's 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 found something or he's made sense of his travels but in in the last like you know 10 or 5 to 10 minutes of the episode it it you know the, the reality was that he never left so it's interesting how like my subconscious mind watching this episode a long time ago versus what's coming up and sort of like kind of built a picture of um yeah maybe Moriarty left and hollow emitters were installed in the shuttle but that didn't happen
1: uh I, I think also we have the the piece in at the end of the episode where Barkley is like computer in program like when yeah. everyone else leaves the room and you're never quite sure that's another piece of this episode you never put especially towards the end you're never quite sure what's happening uh whether they've actually like maybe that's what Picard season three is Picard finally walks out of the holodeck.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and what what is he what is his real life going to look like Naj what's your take this is the way
1: that they retcon everything that happened in season one and two, right? And they're like, oh, none of that happened. Actually, like, uh, the the whole Jariadie jo- thing never happened. She's not the Borg Queen. You don't have um, uh, what what else did A people robot hate? Body. Yeah, you don't have the robot body. <laughs> And, and uh, yeah, you 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 are uh, really you're all gonna be really happy because uh, that that dude who is the crap the captain from who who stayed back. Why am Rios. I forgetting him? Uh, pardon Rios. me, Rios. Rios, yeah, Rios is still alive, and we're gonna do a show on Rios now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Dallas Dream Season, yeah.
1: But <laughs> yeah. isn't
2: that's this is the classic, you know. Sp- spinning whatever top spindle scene that ends with, again, spoiler, uh, that Inception ends with, right? Where you don't really know for sure if you're out of the dream world or not. Um, Mm -hmm. So nicely done. Again, who knows? Maybe this was inspiration for layers within layers kind of um, uh, TV and and movies that came up in the future.
0: I think that would really mess with you if... You had, had an experience like this where you were duped into thinking that you were off the holodeck but you were still in it like i think that would kind of never leave you you know because there's always that possibility that you know it could all just be a holodeck program
1: it's it's like truman from the truman show right
2: yeah. how many years yeah. of
1: therapy do you think he had to believe that he was finally outside the set yeah right um of his tv show i yeah no i completely agree and so Let's let's dive in a little bit more specifically into the beginning of this episode, because I think they basically establish the solution in the first three minutes, right? Like when, when Data, I think it's really well done how they like show Data doing the right and left hand thing in the first scene, although how holodeck's malfunctioning and then later, that's how Data figures out they're still in the holodeck.
0: Yeah, my, my only quibble with it was like, I, were people like allowed to be left-handed in Victorian England? <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously. It, like it, no, it was I, like you I know were, like a major like deviant. If you you know, it was like people were to you ta- their right hands. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I I did not look this up as research, but now I will go to Wikipedia and see when left handedness became an acceptable thing too. <laughs> that is uh, so creepy. Um, but but so so the matchbox in the beginning. That's how data is going to establish that it was it was the brother who killed the guy who was murdered and then the holodeck malfunctions and that kicks our whole plot into action. And then basically Reg comes on, finds that Moriarty has consciousness and then gets Picard and Data onto the holodeck to talk to Moriarty. Yeah.
2: And well, I think, I think the, the, the reality of, so there's two things here. One is it's been four years, and like at that point in time, you're like Picard's gonna be like, "Oh crap!" Like I thought we had dealt with this, and now what do I like? We need to go talk to him, or and he he kind of trusts Picard at that point in time, which is I think a clue in itself, right? Like is Moriarty like he's he's gone through a hard time. He's he's been there four years. He's had fleeting moments of disembodied consciousness which is actually quite creepy right like I would I would I would equate it to like waking up uh, like you're in a coma or something and you're waking up um from time to time and you're completely paralyzed you can't there's no motion you mm-hmm. just have sense and that's that's horrifying um but yet at that point in time he's like yeah tell him to meet me here so he's kind of trusting that they don't do him away for another four years so at that point, you either empathize with Moriarty, like this guy's, you know, he's, he's not so bad or he's trusting and he's gone through a hard time or like, it's kind of weird. It, there has to be another play here. And that's essentially why he let, uh, you know, uh, Berkeley do that because he was already hatching that plan in his mind, um, I
1: think. It's, it is very much, I think, a terrifying prospect for me and I, I think you're right. Like I would expect Moriarty to be like his eyes kind of like twitching, and he's just like, "Uh, go crazy, man!" I'm like, "You don't know what it's like to be in the active memory for four years." Uh, but he's all like very chill and cool. And but but I think that would help me believe it. Though, is that Moriarty does tell Picard like, "I don't believe you." Like he he refuses to kind of concede. Like he's civil, but he he pushes back consistently against Picard. And then you have the bigger reveal where Picard throws the book and Moriarty's like, well, let's see what happens. And he just walks out the door and it's like, well, hello. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That that moment for me was like, what is happening? Like, what the fuck is happening, you guys? Like, I had no idea how this was, how he did it.
2: Yeah. 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 And, and I, I remembered that part, but um, it was, I was like, wow, that, that, I remember the, the twist here, but he, he's a true, he's a true brilliant villain, right? He's thought this through. He's, he's set up for that con is so good. And then he like throws in Latin, like, you know, uh, Kujito ergo sum or whatever that is, right? I think therefore I am, he does like a, he does like a gesture. And so, uh, nicely done, nicely done, uh, nicely written, nicely enacted, Mm -hmm. good, good twist.
0: Yeah. So, you know, kind of his driving motivation is getting off the holodeck, right? And it's kind of a naive, you know, Picard tries to explain to him like, dude, you it's like, it doesn't even make sense. Like you can't, (laughs) you're part of the holodeck. And, but he's naive enough that he doesn't accept that. Right. And, and that's what he's driving towards. And it, I mean, I I know I'm taking it too literally and that that's kind of not the, point of this episode, but you, you know, I mean, you could imagine like trying to make him like a robot body or something. Uh, and and I think that, I don't really like this way they, in Star Trek, it's very unclear like how the holodeck works and like you, there must be just like a bunch of compute power, like running the programs and hosting a consciousness like Moriarty. And then there are like the emitters, right? But it's like, you know, you have your computer and then the screen that it displays Stuff on and Star Trek kind of acts like the screen is the thing, if if, if that if you guys will you know allow mm-hmm. me that metaphor. Um, but yeah, I mean, so so, uh, but but as a as a motivation, I think it really works, right? Because he is he's like brilliant, but he's uh, also really naive or kind of doesn't understand the outside world. So he's kind of
1: like a little baby uh, in that sense. <clears throat> the other thing I think for me that made. So so the next piece is basically then the the crew trying to figure out how how it happens, and then Moriarty asks for his lack of a better word, girlfriend to be brought out with him. And then he starts to hold the ship captive. And uh, then 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 the crew is trying to desperately figure out like how do we get Moriarty out or Moriarty's girlfriend out of the ship the countess. I think that's another point where in another episode I might have been like oh come on the crew would go along with this and start like researching it doesn't make any sense but we've seen this is true of COVID, the COVID vaccine right like sometimes it isn't the fact like as children we think science is like someone gets an idea and then they research the idea and anything that doesn't get any ideas that don't turn into inventions it's just because they weren't viable. No, they're actually really good ideas and there's no motivation, money, time, whatever. The scarce resource is basically the, the, the ability to create research around a scientific idea. So for the COVID vaccine, for example, we had the RNA vaccine technology in the past. We just never thought it was applicable. So no one followed the theme. Then you suddenly have this major motivational burst because of COVID. And they're able to create ginormous applications to the point where now we'll be thinking about that to get rid of all corals ever. Through a a multi coronavirus vaccine, right? Like, so I was able to be like, yeah, that's right. They haven't been able to figure out how to get someone out of the holodeck because they've never, it's never been important. But now there is a holographic life form. They're actually going to put research behind it. And maybe there is some potential for Jordi, Barkley, and Data working together to to get Moriarty out. Now that there's like five hours, like there's a deadline attached, maybe it could work, you know?
0: Yeah, they kind of. create some ambiguity, right? You could maybe believe it. But then when Picard goes to um, the Countess, whatever, and he's like, oh yeah, we just have to unpair the Heisenberg compensators and allow them to scramble randomly. And at that point I was like, nah, like this, he's lying to her, it's like, no way.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Uh, I, so from the point, so, so, okay. So where we're going now is basically that Data and Geordi and Picard are working in engineering. Data notices, Geordi typing on his pad with his left fingers, which is brilliant. And also it makes sense that a computer would notice something like that, even if the humans don't. Yeah. An Android.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Data picks up on it. And then, as Rudy mentioned at the top, Geordi stands there like a kind of awkward automaton just like with the yeah, blank yeah. look on his but i think that I, it's actually believable right because you you would expect that users of the holodeck would like break the fourth wall uh, uh, pretty routinely right yeah and so mm. what do the characters do when that happens and i think i mean that's as good a solution as any is that they just kind of stare blankly
1: <laughs> backup program <clears throat> yeah well um, and and Another piece I actually addresses this in the episode, right? Barkley is always surprised when Moriarty and when the Countess both are aware of the fact that there is a life off the holodeck. Right. Like, that is the thing. That's, so, for me, again, it was not like my disbelief wasn't suspended.
2: And it's it's a bunch of things. Like, I think before the left hand thing, he notices that transporter yeah. logs aren't there, right? Like, they're just standing. So, that's when he, that's his first clue, like, when they try to transport that chair using the hollow emitters, there were just no logs because the, the program didn't know how to rep, replicate logs for a transporter um, event, right? Uh, so it's, it's he's keeping track of stuff. And again, to your point, Natsh, that uh, um, uh, a human may not do that. An extremely meticulous and logical human may keep track of stuff, or maybe a Vulcan. but uh, for an Android, it's easier to connect uh, events. Um, one thought that I had was In terms of sentience, well, Moriarty became sentient. As far as I remember, I have also not, haven't seen the previous episode recently as well is because I believe data was, you know, he was, he was doing these, like, um, these holodeck things with, with Sherlock. And it was just too easy. I don't know who it was who told him, like, you can't just run through the cases because you already know the plots. The real, the real art is figuring it out and solving something that you don't know. So he went and created a character that, you know, could be like an equal and and Mm -hmm. creates intrigue that he can't think through. That's how sentience, I believe, came about for Moriarty. But for, um, you know, the Countess Regina Bartholomew. Yeah, that's how you say it. Um, When did that happen? Like, I don't remember. Like, did she become become sentient as a part of this episode before? It was interesting because they kind of like weaved it in, right? And he explained it to her and then she was like, oh, okay. So that kind of like learned sentience as opposed to like having the intellect to process sentience yourself because you were programmed in a way that was, um, a challenge for data. There's that's different in, in a way, do you think?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I think, so I think Moriarty does that. I think they kind of explain that when Berkeley is, uh, using the pattern enhancers to move the chair, um, but And then Moriarty comes into the room. But anyway, I it's the thing that like, again, I'm taking this too literally, but like you would think if the enterprise computer had sufficient resources to host a consciousness that that would have already been done or, or people would understand that it's possible and that it's more a matter of having like sufficient resources and then I guess some kind of software to run on it not not just a matter of simply like saying the magic words and then, <laughs> and then kind of irrespective of how much compute power is available on the enterprise, it just creates a consciousness.
2: And I think the plot didn't allow for this, but where I was going with the learned sentience of um, Lady Moriarty, let's call her, um, was say Moriarty sat down with Jordy, right? And uh, the the holographic Jordy, and said like, listen, man, like we're not real and we need to get out of here. Otherwise we will, we will cease to exist. So I need your help. You have the acumen of a uh, starship engineer. How do we figure this out? They didn't go there and I'm not sure that that would have worked with, you know, catatonic Jordy. So it's, it's interesting. It's, 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 there's, there's differences between lady Moriarty and catatonic Geordi hologram.
0: <laughs> Poor Geordie. He's just drooling, just staring what, off into which, the distance.
1: Uh, <laughs> I but I think I think you're right, Rudy. In that Murari has some sort of control over the ship's systems. At least the holographic systems, right? So he did pull some sort of consciousness subroutine into the to the Countess oh. that allowed her probably to become a little bit more like him and less like the other characters in the in the holodeck. Yeah, and
2: and to to Bill's point, like. Why just him? It could have already happened elsewhere. It's like he was the OG, right? Uh, OG sentience. And then he mm-hmm. pushed it on to her. But others, it's not so it's not so organic. It it just doesn't happen
1: randomly. Yeah. Geordie uh, hologram cannot be sentient, I guess. Right, that that was my interpretation. The other thing I'll say is that so we get the one like oh they're on a the twist, but then we get more twists in this episode as they go through. And you see, like, for a second, the show shows you the real, uh, J- Worf, Geordi, and Riker on the bridge. And so when Moriarty calls them back after after Picard reads the command codes and engineering, Moriarty is shown on the big screen on the the real bridge talking to the real Riker. Yeah. And then afterwards, Moriarty is talking to a Riker and Worf who then say, we figured out a way to get you off the the, the 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 holodeck and they transport him. And and I, like at that point again, I was like, oh yeah, they. I guess they did it. Nicely done. And then we find out, no, it's actually a holodeck within the holodeck. And that's like truly, I mean, that is like genuinely brilliant, both for the the Picard and Data in the show to figure that out, but also for the writers, like, well done. Like, of course, a holographic ship has a holographic holodeck. (laughs) And the, yeah.
2: And that's, that's, I mean, it's truly brilliant, I feel, because I was scratching my head on, if they don't have control of the holographic ship in the holodeck, because Moriarty has control of the real holodeck, how do they, how do they blur the lines between Moriarty stepping into, like, the holographic holodeck and and not, you know, and kind of trick him there when he himself being a computer program should be kind of aware of that distinction,
1: but he wasn't, right? Um, I mean, that's now we're getting into, like, think too hard kind of stuff. Like, truly speaking, like, wouldn't Data notice, like, some, like, (laughs) minute differences in the photonic spectrum through his, like, eyes or whatever, like... You know, there, there's stuff that, you know, we, we have to just buy into the fact that the, the, the holographic computer program, like, for example, why isn't Moriarty just aware of everything that's ever spoken on the, com- on the holodeck, right? Like, Picard and Data are like, oh, we figured it out. They're saying it yeah. out loud, like, technically, you know. Um, but, yeah, so, I, th- I think this it's is, just a buy. This is like Bill's spiel on its track
2: after all, so you, you have to have a little bit of faith
0: yeah, Roger Ebert, I think, says, never question the premise. grant them the premise, right? If you're watching a movie, mm. you know grant them the premise and then kind of based on that, you can critique. <clears throat> I, th- I think that's a good philosophy.
1: I like that. I really do, because you, you you can you can say, okay, I'm gonna take the original premise you give me, but then beyond that, you got to stay consistent with that premise. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, no, that makes sense. Uh, so at the end there we have Moriarty and the Countess getting on the shuttle and just like starting to explore the world but then it turns out it's this little green cube and what I want to know is A, we should have done this episode in our like moral dilemmas thing because that is like yeah. a moral dilemma, right? Like both Moriarty's first like sentience and that exile the whole idea of him being a new life form and then this idea, of we're just going to let them like continue exploring the world inside a little cube. Well, you're setting up for,
2: in what form is he going to come back, right? Is he again going to figure out that he was roaming a holographic universe or a holographic galaxy? And is he going to be pissed off? Is he not? I haven't seen any of the teaser years yet. I don't know if there's, um, you know, uh, snips or whatever, clips of him or... or uh, lines, but that's, that's where we're going. And but it, I, I would say that the moral ground when the episode was written right in the nineties, the moral ground they were going on was he is a, he is an existential danger, um, because he's, they showed what lengths he could go to, right. Mm-hmm. He, he, to, to further his cause of being able to go beyond the holodeck, right. Um, and he he put online the lives of uh, you know, uh Starfleet uh, officers and, and crewmen and all of that. So that's the justification in keeping him in is they could've they could have like zipped the like wiped him, right? But they didn't do that. Take a hammer um, to the queue. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine Barkley doing that. <laughs> um but but so and then they'll I think the other thing again going into where this where this could go in Picard season three is they keep pushing on he he and both Lady Moriarty keep pushing on the fact that he's not inherently evil but he was written that way so like he as as a sentient being cannot own the the crimes of past or or the precedents of past um that was just you know written so are they gonna Are they gonna dabble in that going forward in in Picard three? But there's also evidence that he took a whole ship hostage, right? So mm-hmm. tricky.
1: I I I struggle with that idea of like, is he just evil, right? Like, or is this is this a sentient, like like is is the hologram capable of exceeding his programming of being evil?
0: <clears throat> I mean, if he's wouldn't devious. But I think his I think he's a little sympathetic. I mean wanting yeah. to have freedom and leave the Holodeck and he doesn't kill anyone. I mean he you know.
1: Right. He 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 uses the pressure of the impending supernova to like try and accelerate the idea, but we don't actually see like if Bush came to shove, would he refuse like if it was like dude, we've got 30 minutes. We're going to go to warp right now or we're all going to die. Like, we don't know what he would do in that situation, right? Whether he'd be like, yeah, nope, we're all stuck in this together now or whether he'd let everybody go. Yeah.
2: So He kept saying he he had nothing to lose, which is pretty scary to hear as a negotiator on the other side of the table, right? Like, it's either this or me going back to that disembodied
1: uh, intermittent consciousness, which is no bueno. But at the same time, when he says that, that's kind of like a negotiating tactic, right? Like it's, 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 you're trying to show the other party that you have nothing to lose because that, that helps, that, that shows them that you're at the brink. So they have nothing to negotiate against. So they should just give you what you want. Mm. Yeah. So... Uh, let, let's let's go from this though to now what do we think that's gonna happen to Moriarty and Picard season three what are your predictions of what we're gonna see
2: He noticed <laughs> there were some left-hand issues and uh, after like four years I don't know how many years now though it's not four right it's uh, if you do the math it's decades that was uh, everybody's left-handed or not and yeah and there's no transporter logs well, now they have logs right uh, I, I guess because it's in the actual holiday
0: yeah so yeah i mean i have no idea we have a very brief snippet of footage from one of the trailers of him he's holding a pistol in his left hand oh. uh and has a it's it looks like it's the same actor i don't know his name but it looks it like is, he's about is, 30 yeah. years older has a top hat on I, my guess is that it's a pretty minor role um it could even just be a like a few minutes or something because um, it's oh no Well, I mean, we have a villain for this season and there's, and also lore is like, do they need a third, a third villain to drive the plot? Probably not. Um, I could be wrong. That's just my speculation.
2: I think it becomes really fascinating with lore and data and Sherlock data of past and Moriarty. They could do more than a few minutes there, but, but I get your point. They could also... There's there's so many ingredients that they could they could muck it up like so it, it has to be threaded really well for all of it to make sense. I do hope that he spends um, he gets more than a few minutes. Um, I really liked him in TNG. Uh, like 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 you said, Bill, the, the way they the way they portray him, the, you you cannot not empathize with his situation. I would find it. I wouldn't find it beyond myself to play, to pull a con like that, to get out of the holodeck, right? Like to escape disembodied consciousness here and there. So, and that's the best kind of villain, the kind that you empathize with because it's so hard to pick,
1: right? Um, So let's see. Yeah, I, I, I wonder... If this, I think there's a few different ways that I could see it going. One is Picard just feeling like there's unfinished business, right? Now they're a mobile emitter. So maybe it's a way to address that. Or maybe, uh, I mean, I, we haven't heard mm-hmm. it, if Barclay himself is gonna be back, but I could see like Reg feeling guilty and doing something erratic, like plugging in the the cube into like the computer network or whatever. I could also see a story where the Countess has now died and all of the meaning that Moriarty created in his life in that cube, he's now gone crazy because it's been revealed as a lie or whatever. So there's a lot of ways we could have this. Or uh, maybe there's just a element of like Picard and Moriarty having to work together because he, Picard can't trust the real world, but he can trust the holograms. I don't
2: know. I think you have something there. It, Moriarty was created as an equal, um, as an equal, as a challenge to Sherlock data. What mm-hmm. if Lore's the big bad villain? And the only way to take Lore down and be one step ahead of Lore in terms of thinking is mm-hmm. to use Moriarty, right?
1: Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. Which uh, I, So the other thing is we're going to talk, we need to talk about Lore's role in all of this, which we'll do next week. We still got one more weekend before Picard Season 3 comes up, so we've got, a, got another episode to come up. I'm going to propose that we watch the first episode with Lore, which is Data Lore from the first season. I uh, want to ask you guys if that works for you. The other episode that we were thinking about also was the one in which Noonien Soong shows up. Uh, which I think is—is uh, is that Descent, or is it Brothers? One of those two has has no- yeah, Brothers has Noonie and Soong in it from the fourth season. So I don't know which one of these two episodes you'd like us to. Yeah, pick. I'm down to do Data Lore. Data Lore. All right, let's watch first season TNG. We'll go. We'll continue our trek backwards through TNG. We started with the, the finale, went to the sixth season. Now we'll go back to the first season and watch Data Lore for next weekend.
2: Sounds like um, Picard from All Good Things, eh? backward in time and then forwards. And-
1: exactly, exactly, and it's three different timelines, just like that episode. Okay. Um, any other final points about Ship in a Bottle before we give it a rating?
0: I I was elated to uh, hear Moriarty say, "Lieutenant."
1: Dude, oh. what do British people think
0: <laughs> when they hear Patrick Stewart say "Lieutenant"? You know, it's like, I mean, I get it, like. You know, it's yeah. an American TV show, but
1: <laughs> I wonder if they had to ask him to do that, or if he just did it himself. If it was a choice, you know?
0: Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Is the actor yeah, but... English?
1: No, 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 I'm saying like Picard, like uh, oh, Patrick Stewart. Yeah. Good we have to ask him yeah. when we when we finally go to a Star Trek convention. This is the question. The one question maybe he's never been asked before. <laughs> 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 uh, okay. All right. Well, strange new ratings. Let's uh, one of us stick our necks out and give Shippen a bottle of rating. Who wants to go first?
2: Um, I'll I'll start it off. Um, I I think my best Star Trek episode across across series and seasons is still uh, in the pale moonlight. Um, it's but- fake. It's fake <laughs> indeed. Um, the episode's fake. It was in a holodeck story. (laughs) Um, but this one from a cerebral standpoint and just in terms of sci-fi that has come after, right, uh, layers within layers, it's, it's gotta be up there for me. Like, you know, top five ever, Star Trek, and I've never really figured out the remaining three, so it's easier for me to put them in there, but top five, maybe. And so, yeah, 10 out of 10, um... Uh, disappearing chairs with no uh, tra- transporter logs. <laughs> yeah,
0: I'll do the same. Ten out of ten. I, I
1: yeah, was gonna great. give it a nine, but you guys talked me into it. Dan, I think I think this is a perfect episode. I think this is excellent. Like, I I think it has so much depth. It's got like tension, but it also has real ethical dilemmas. There's like twists. And there's no, like, violence at all. So I, I really do. I think this might be the only other 10 out of 10, maybe, that I've given. I need to, I mean, I'm I'm not blanking a little bit on, like, I can't, like, visualize the other episodes I've given a 10. But I think this one maybe comes really close, if not surpassing In the Pale Moonlight for me. Like, this is genuine, like genuinely this might be one of those episodes that you could show to somebody to illustrate the power of star trek as a franchise right like this is what you can do because this storyline is not possible without star trek technology right like if if, if we don't have the star trek universe this story doesn't happen there are a lot of other compelling star trek stories where you could say like the entirety of the mandalorian you know is like if you, if you, it could happen in the Wild West, right? You don't need Star Wars for the Mandalorian, for the more most part. That's true for a lot of Star Trek stories, and this one, you need it to be Star Trek, and it kind of excels in the format as well of yeah. the, the kind of cerebral nature of this show. So um, it's been a revelation for me. I would have never like thought about this episode even as being like one of my top whatever, but it's now it's now over there. So um, well done, Rene Echivara. Or Echevarria. Uh well done alright well um, thank you Rudy and thank you Bill for joining me to discuss this show uh, it's okay that we weren't drunk this time next time right <laughs> alright um, and thank you Adam and Emily wherever y'all are whatever y'all are doing I hope it's a great time Emily I hope you rolled your eyes at the beginning of the episode just a little bit when I talked about it And uh, thank you, dear listener, for making us a part of your listening rotation for the week. We always appreciate that you make time for us. Thank you, Jishnu Guha, for recording our theme music as well. And this week, special thanks to Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. He might have been a conspiracy theorist kook who actually had, like, a lot of negative effects on, like, our understanding of science. But he wrote a damn good villain. Uh, (laughs) So so well done, uh, Mr. ACD. All right, everybody. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Thanks, Bye. Notch. Bye.